Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we are chatting with Soraya Alexander. She is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Customer Growth at Classy, who actually just passed a billion dollars raised in their seven years in existence. Uh, pretty cool story uh, in the nonprofit and philanthropy space. Uh, we don't actually talk about that too much. We actually talk about some research that Soraya and her team did called Why America Gives in 2020. It's actually the third year that they've done that research, looking at donor behavior and kind of survey analysis over a series of years. And this last year, obviously, you may have noticed, was a bit different. So she talks about some of the key findings that had around social justice, the impact of COVID, uh, platform adoption and technology, some interesting things. And then I kind of ask her some questions about what she thinks uh, about 2021, what will change, what will stay the same. So that's what we have in this conversation. We also, uh, you'll hear which TV show Soraya is most likely to binge in 2021. And I can almost guarantee you, uh, you won't be able to guess it. So if you're interested in generosity, digital fundraising, philanthropy, why Americans give, this episode is for you. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Hi, Soraya. Thanks for coming on the show. So great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're going to talk about some research y'all did, and I'd love to hear more uh, about that. But right now, I want to hear a little bit more about you and how you ended up at Classy and kind of your journey. You know, you worked in arts, you worked in media, consumer real retail. Um, what was that journey like? Kind of how did you find your way to Classy? And, and, you know, what's unique about the nonprofit space compared to maybe your other experience? I love the nonprofit space. So I actually started my career in the nonprofit space. I was in DC working at a public interest strategy and PR firm. Uh, I just loved the the causes I was able to affiliate with and the uh, the way that really smart people were bringing kind of creativity and energy to solve uh, the most important problems of the world. Um, but as I kind of wound through my career and all of the kind of normal twists and turns, uh, I really wanted to get into the corporate space where the expectations around consistent results, reporting to the street, you know, the diligence and the hyper-sophistication um, and the kind of pressure that that brings mm. makes you um, highly accountable to yourself and everybody else. And I really like that mm. training. And so after I'd done that for several years, I was excited to find Classy, which had the kind of business ethos around results, um, but bringing it to bear on, you know, the most important causes and the most important sector. Um, so I was just really grateful to find a company that builds technology and all, has all of the, the best technological principles behind it, but applying it to, to the social sector. Uh, so it's hmm. kind of the best of both worlds. Cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great answer. Well, why do you think there's like less pressure to a degree. I mean, at one level, I, I totally understand, right? There's like businesses and stock exchange and all that kind of stuff. But at the other side, like on nonprofits, it's like we're, we're trying to like solve societal problems and some of the most serious things. Like, should there not be like a higher sense of pressure and <laughs> yes. accountability, you know, on us? So I'm interested in like where that comes from. And that's probably a huge conversation, but you know, any like quick thoughts on that before we move on? I think it it's actually because it's so hard to really understand impact. Mm. These 
problems are are often so intractable and massive. uh, And the public is not incentivized to deeply Mm -hmm. understand who's having the biggest impact, or if they are, they don't know where to look. And so the people who are working on these efforts definitely put their own, you know, self-imposed pressure, you know, they're dedicating their lives to solving these issues. Um, I think it's really the way that you earn money is a little bit disconnected from that. And so when you're building a consumer product, you know, hopefully the best product or at least the best marketing wins, consumers spend money on that here. The, the mission delivery is almost separate mm. from the mm-hmm. revenue stream. So again, when you come to, to Classy, we build fundraising technology for these nonprofits. And a lot of the time what we talk about is you relate to your donors by demonstrating impact. And that helps build a sustaining revenue model and also helps fund this important work. Um, but that kind of training and discipline, I think, does just happen in the for-profit world a little bit differently because the results are so immediate. Like, you know, the only goal is revenue and you can see immediately is revenue happening (laughs) or not. Um, So it's just kind of a different, honestly, easier equation in a lot of ways. Totally. Yeah. No, that's great. That's, that's another conversation in podcast that we can (laughs) maybe have another time, but it was just kind of an aside. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about some of this research, which obviously we love and we appreciate all the research that you do at Classy. So we're talking about the Why America Gives uh, research that you did in 2020, um, which is obviously a a unique year uh, that we had. So did you plan to do this research kind of like before COVID? Was it kind of like, well, we were going to do some of this and then we just tailored it to COVID or like take us behind the scenes a little bit of like, how did you come up with this research project and what impact did COVID really play uh, in its creation? Sure. We love doing research at Classy. Um, we just think that once you understand donor behavior and organizational behavior, you can better serve the sector and then you can build better products that respond to those needs, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a more direct way. And so uh, we do quite a bit of research. This was actually the third year we've done Why America Gives. We always publish it right as we go into end of year giving to help uh, inform and guide nonprofits and they take from it, you know, whatever they need as they build their year-end giving campaigns. Um, And we knew that 2020 posed a whole series of new questions that everybody was asking. Um, You know, I I don't just run marketing. I actually run our customer growth teams. And so I'm on the phone with clients every day who are saying, you know, we've been asking donors all year. We're on the front lines. Our donors are exhausted and there's such high unemployment rates. How can we possibly ask for more? Or mm-hmm. we're kind of sidelined through this. We haven't really shifted our programs. Nobody's really thinking about this cause right now. Is this mm-hmm. the right time period? And so there was this kind of acute uncertainty around what to do. Um, so we definitely tailored the research this year. Uh, but no, mm-hmm. we like kind of a longitudinal look to really understand trends um, over all of these years. Cool. And so then um, how do you actually go about, you know, doing the research to, to understand donor behavior or donor thoughts? Yeah, we work with a third-party data research company. So we kind of craft what what do we think uh, organizations want to know? What do we want to know? Um, and then we work with a data research company to make sure we get kind of statistically significant results. So we surveyed over a thousand adults um, about their giving behavior, motivations, uh, how the pandemic and social justice uh, movements affected giving. I don't know if it's a pandemic movement, social justice movement, uh, and the <laughs> pandemic affected things um, to kind of see what see what we found. Cool. Well, um, uh, there's a lot of great stuff in there, and as I mentioned, uh, I was kind of doing some advising with a Canadian group that was doing something similar, and I said, th- "This has a lot of really good stuff in terms of the questions and you know the longitudinal questions." 
uh, and trying to get inside the mind of a donor and things like that. So I, I think it's a great report. People should check it out. And there's way more stuff in there than we'll be able to talk about. But a couple of the things that um, you know, really jumped out to me. One was the kind of focus on, you know, social justice itself. And obviously that's probably you guys tailoring it a little bit. You maybe haven't asked that question, you know, all three years, but that's that was, right. that was really interesting. Can you talk about um, some of the key findings that you had specific to the, the kind of social justice questions that you had this year? Yeah. So uh, we actually said that saw that 58% of people uh, said they donated to a social justice cause for the first time. Um, and we agreed it was, it was really fascinating for us to see. We also saw there were generational differences. So, um, Gen X was actually the most likely to donate to social justice, but it was followed very, very closely by Gen Z and millennials. Um, and the baby boomers and the silent generations, which were kind of the two older, oldest cohorts, um, were the least likely to be impacted by, by these events. And we try not to editorialize around, you know, why and what the motivations were. Mm. I have theories around, you know, older generations have found their causes over a lifetime of giving and, you know, engagement, you know, civic engagement. And so Mm. um, current events are maybe less likely to sway them, whereas younger Mm. donors are maybe more influenced and they're developing those kind of philanthropic muscles still. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's Mm. my own theory that the data that was was pretty interesting around really the focus that was just, you know, that was um, oriented here this year. Yeah, I, th- I thought the 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 amount of people that donated to social justice for the first time was just this clear example of of media and things that go on in, in the world impacting giving. And you know, we often talk about marketing and direct response, and we're really focused on the last action and the last conversion. The work you do, the work we do, is very much focused on that, and that's great. Yeah. But there's all this other stuff that's going on in the world: what people are reading, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, and all these things influence eventually why they choose to give. And you know. We, we talk about donor motivation. It's the biggest reason why people give, and it's the hardest thing for any of us to actually control and influence. And so it's just interesting seeing like the rising tide, you know, we see it in disaster response. This year we see it in like social justice causes. So do you have any like guesses or thoughts is like, will this continue kind of into the next year? You know, I know there's a lot of skeptics and a lot of people that are worried is like, great, you know, you put your Instagram, you know, black, maybe you made a donation, but like, what are we going to do about social justice causes moving forward? Was there anything in the data or anything that you, you know you think or believe that that you can see in terms of the sustainability of some of that? So it, it's a great question. Um, we think about this a lot. Of course, the vast majority who came out were one-time donors, uh, but that's the same that we see across the board, no matter the time period. For any organization, whether they're in the limelight or not, the vast majority of donors are one-time donors. And again, kind of pulling on my background on, um, you know, B2C like retail, the idea that you have a consumer who comes one time and you never see them again, and you constantly have to focus on acquisition is insane. That's like no business (laughs) would be able to survive that way. So it's certainly a big problem for the nonprofit sector. We actually didn't see it more acutely for social justice. We saw kind of a commensurate rise in recurring donors, which is really mm-hmm. encouraging for us. And uh, frankly, we are focused really heavily there because out of last year, we saw either you got a ton of attention. So how do you now build a sustainable program based on that influx? And that comes through stewarding these donors into recurring donors. Or if the attention was away from you, you had to kind of lean on those recurring donors to carry you through. So regardless of yeah. which organization you are, a focus on that kind of conversion into sustaining donors is really important. Um, 
we have found through other research we've done that recurring donors are over five times more valuable than one-time donors, even though those initial donation amounts are lower. Um, we, I mean, everybody knows it's the holy grail. It, this is kind mm-hmm. of sustaining revenue streams are super important. Um, and so we actually encouragingly saw kind of a commensurate number convert mm-hmm. to sustaining donations. So sure, you're probably not going to see those kinds of acute spikes the same way unless you know, the news and the all public right. attention is there again. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, it goes back to baseline. We're actually seeing the baseline has now increased because of those mm. sustaining donors. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I know we've, we've cited, you know, your guys' research around some of the re- value of recurring in the past. And what's interesting is, you know, before we got on this um, call, I was talking about some other research we're doing globally. And for years and years and years, you know, U.S. is really kind of leading the way in a lot of fundraising. It's, you know, the most generous country by statistics, has the biggest infrastructure, most employees, and in a lot of ways is ahead of the curve. In one of the ways where they are not is recurring giving and sustaining giving. And like you talk to Canadians and then you go over to Europe and Asia and they're like, what are you guys doing? Like, how are you not more focused on recurring giving? And we just saw it come out through the data in terms of defaulting and focus and asks. And so like, I know this isn't talking about recurring, but it is important. Like, why are organizations still maybe so slow to focus, ask for it, talk about it, default, whatever it might be? What What do you hear from clients? Or because the data is so compelling and overwhelming, yeah. you know yeah. that like, why aren't we doing this? Or or what do you think that is? It's interesting. One of the things that I have seen is organizations often think that they are running recurring donation programs, and we often try to understand the difference between the organizations who are incredibly successful on this versus the ones who are not. And when you talk to them, they both talk about, no, we like recurring donors. We get it. This is super important. We've got recurring donation options. But the organizations who are not doing well think that just having an option to become a recurring donor is enough. It's not enough. There are entire programs around how to Mm. optimize for recurring donors. So again, back to, you know, we learn and then we build technology or try to advance the technology we have to make sure we meet that need. So things like, you know, frequency options, things like giving donors control, things like enabling ACH payments, things like, you know, having dedicated recurring asks, things like demonstrating impact and doing that kind of follow-up. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those are really important to build a robust recurring donation program. And so I think we actually do ourselves a disservice uh, because we, we say like, oh, we've got the button, so we've got a program. That, that's not a right. program. A button is not a program. Um, and I think those are the, the differences we see. Uh, and the truth is right now, donors really understand what that looks like. We started talking about subscription giving. Subscriptions have become so common for us. I mean, we have 30 subscriptions, you know, between, you know, Netflix yeah. and Spotify and, you know, my New York Times, whatever it is. We're very mm-hmm. used to that method of giving or of, of receiving other products, even when you think about technology, you know, we all are fast consumers now, like subscription is kind of in our, in our blood in a really um, uh, intuitive way. And so mm-hmm. uh, trying to, to help nonprofits really discover that angle for donations is, is critically important. And you're right. We're so generous and people are so generous and feeling like you get to be a part of something for the long haul, feeling like you're investing in social good, even if you're giving $5 a month. Um, it, 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 I don't know, to me as a donor uh, and as somebody who works with, with organizations is, is really exciting. And I agree it's the next kind of frontier for us to unlock. 
Yeah, cool. Well, again, another podcast talking about open giving. <laughs> so uh, moving on, another of the, the key things you alluded to, kind of like generational differences. I know yeah. this is always interesting because, you know, a lot of times you're in calls or meetings or webinars or whatever, and the question's always like, well, how do we get younger donor base? You know, that seems to be a, a common question. And one thing that we always say is like, well, why? Like, why do you want a younger donor base? And, you know, it comes out like the fundamental issue is people want more sustainable revenue. Mm -hmm. And so as you know, if you can reassess the goals, like more sustainable revenue, it doesn't automatically mean you need a bunch of 20 year olds to make recurring gifts. That may be part of the solution, but people often make this leap from, you know, we need future sustainability to like, we need 25 year olds. And I think that's like pretty flawed, you know, mm -hmm. logic, but understanding that there are real differences between generations and, and kind of how they um, evolve over time. You know, what I thought as a 25 year old is different than what I think and believe mm -hmm. as a 35 year old. Mm -hmm. And that will be the case, you know, ongoing. So I think it's interesting, but also I, I think we can't get too wrapped up in like, well, what are the, young, what are the youths, you know, yeah. saying and how do we like, you know, target yeah. them. But there were some interesting things that stood out. Can you kind of expand maybe like um, you talked about, you know, like likelihood to give, but were there certain areas perhaps where you saw some stark differences between um, where these generations chose to give or how they interacted? Well, I think what's really interesting is I agree with you. I keep hearing, you know, you want to, you want to access the younger generations. And the younger generation, the youngest cohort, so Gen Z, led in one key area, which is how they give. They prefer kind of above all to give via their smartphone um, mm -hmm. versus, you know, baby boomers who like websites versus the silent generation who still likes the in-person or in-mail. But they were followed really closely by millennials and Gen, Gen X. Actually, mm -hmm. kind of across a lot of the other things we were surveying, Gen X was actually leading the way. You know, who was mm -hmm. most likely to respond to COVID? Gen X led the way. Who was most likely to give to social justice? That was Gen X. Who was mm. most likely to have participated in a virtual event? Again, Gen X. Um, and so millennials and, and Gen Z was kind of very close behind. But I think we assume as you've gotten up in years, you kind of maybe tapped that market or you understand those mm. personas way more. And maybe it's because younger donors, you feel like, oh, shoot, do I have to figure out like TikTok giving? Like, what does this mean, right? But, <laughs> yeah. but actually, you know, we're, we're not... You know, the older generations are not calcified in their giving by any means. And so figuring out how you relate to people kind of across generations, um, there's still so much appetite and eagerness to kind of uh, uh, participate and, and evolve. Yeah. And, and the giving is not kind of done and the, the patterns of giving are not are not hardened right. yet. So uh, that's interesting. Just thinking like if we took the names of the, the, the groups and the generations off, and if you just showed nonprofits, here's A, B, C, and D, and here are their characteristics, and didn't have their ages on there and say, yeah. which of these are like most valuable to you or which would you most like to pursue? I bet you none would choose Gen Z, and it's pronounced Gen Z. You know, um, you know, they would choose Gen X, maybe, maybe boomers. You know, like all the indicators around those are like yeah. these are actually better. You know, segments. It's when we throw the names on there, and it's like it's not yeah. as sexy to talk about like targeting like sixty-five year olds on Facebook. Like it's boring <laughs> or whatever. But like that's yeah. that's where the data and research is really interesting around who is giving, what do they look like, and also like what do they like in terms of methods and preferences and things like that. So again, I think that's why like the, the type of research that, you know, you and others are doing to understand those things are really interesting. Now the application of like, so what do you do with this information? You know, it's kind of right. a separate conversation because should you do that? Well, maybe, but you know, just because um, Gen Z likes to give via mobile doesn't mean that that's now your core strategy is making everything mobile in Gen Z. Like there's a lot of different nuances to how you use this information, right? 
Well, I agree, but I'll, I'll also say that the interesting thing for me was, so I, I just said that Gen X was leading the charge, but actually the the way that millennials and Gen Z, I'm sticking to Z, uh, <laughs> hung, uh, followed was actually very close. I mean, the differences were a few percentage points, but you actually did see quite different behaviors when it came to mm. baby boomers in the silent generation. So kind of right. anybody below the age of 57 were pretty close in behaviors. And so I think understanding mm. how they give Great. You should definitely do that. But thinking that just means we're accessing 20 year olds with very limited uh, right, 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 income right. potentially, and, you know, all these other things that come along with it, I think would be, would lead you down a, a wrong path. So, right. but you're absolutely correct. You know, how do you make sure that you are meeting them where they want to be, which is online, primarily mobile, um, you know, things like digital wallets, which, you know, we can talk about, we launched last year and we're seeing incredible results there. You know, you're seeing a jump of you know, almost 10% in mobile conversion when that's activated. Mm. This is not insignificant wow. numbers. Um, right. And the way that current events really can redirect their focus and redirect their giving, um, their involvement and their awareness and things like Giving Tuesday and end of year giving, really high, growing every year. All of those principles actually hold for a much wider demographic than I think most of us assume. And, and that's kind of yeah. what came out in, in this report. No, that, that's a very good point. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to, to oversimplify it or say, you know, do this or, or don't do this. <laughs> I think the common misconception is you're right. Like there's these very hard lines, like Gen Z does all these things and then yeah. Gen X is so wildly different. So that's a really, really good point to say. Mm, they're a lot more maybe like similar than you think. Yeah. And then when they become of the same age as the generation before them, they also start typically to normalize towards what that generation is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what's interesting, tracking these things over, over years and over time. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about what you do, I mean, you just referenced like, here's the research side, but then, you know, uh, implementing mobile wallets, we saw, you know, a 10% increase, um, like you do the research data, but then you have like hard data. And so in the research, yeah. one of the things that we found was things like, you know, the majority of donors said they were going to give definitely more, you know, it was 20%, probably more was 19% or same as last year, you know, 44%. So these are people saying, here's what we think we're going to do, but then, you know, we got through year end. I don't know if you had enough time to like, you know, crunch all the data. But what's interesting for you is you, then you can go back and we know that donors often say and do and try to line that up. Do you have any indications? You know, I know year end typically online was really strong, but did you see a lot of growth and, you know, are donors liars essentially? <laughs> well, you're asking if I've had time to crunch the data. We were crunching the data until, you know, midnight that night. We were obsessively refreshing <laughs> our internal dashboards to yeah, understand right. <laughs> what was happening. So yes, definitely had time. Uh, we, uh, that was our exciting New Year's Eve. Uh, yes, we actually had a record-breaking year on Class D, which is really exciting. We raised over a billion dollars uh, in 2020 alone. Um, so, so huge year for us, um, which means a huge year for our clients, kind of most importantly. Um, and mm. we were all waiting with bated breath. Uh, there was so much economic uncertainty that we were saying, you know, there's, there's tremendous need. Will, will donors come through? Uh, they did in spades, uh, which, was, which was really exciting to see. Um, we raised 38 million on Giving Tuesday, um, and then 44 and a half million on, on December 31st. So that was like an 84% increase year over year in the month of wow. December. I mean, huge numbers. Um, hmm. And you know, you think back to last March when everything really started hitting the U.S. and people are saying, uh, you know, oh my gosh, what is this going to mean? I know we were were talking to our clients who are, you know, fr frankly panicking for a lot of good reasons, both because they saw what it would mean for um, their causes and how much need there was going to be. And also because they weren't sure donors would be able to meet that need. Um, 
so it was a, it was a really encouraging year. Um, and so, yeah, the, the donors came through. They said they were going to give more. <laughs> they gave more. Um, and I know we keep hearing from the organizations that, you know, the need doesn't stop just because end of year has passed. You know, there's nothing really that's, that's changed, you know, now, yeah. <laughs> now as we sit, uh, we sit here in the new year. So um, we're hoping that, that donors keep recognizing that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about kind of 2021 and, and what's ahead. Uh, right. I already talked a little bit about, um, you know, social justice issues. Um, what, what, what are you guys up to in terms of like research or, or any kind of, you know, state of modern philanthropy? Um, yeah. You know, what, what are you, obviously you'll do this study again, but like what's on the docket for, for classes as you go into 2021 and what are some things that you're really, you know, focused on if you can share those? Yeah, of course. Well, so we're, we're trying to, you know, we consistently try to punch, pu- uh, uh, publish out research. So we've got a really active, you know, blog. We'd love your listeners to check it out. We're constantly doing kind of best practices and things we're finding. Uh, but yes, we are planning our state of modern philanthropy report, um, as we affectionately call it, our SOMP report, uh, which comes out kind of late spring, early summer. And that's really a meta analysis of our platform um, and behavior on the platform. So um, how are donors giving? What's their what's their behavior in terms of engagement with campaigns? Just really more tactical uh, in terms of fundraising campaign behavior. Um, and yes, we do Why America Gives kind of later in the year. And then we try to augment that with and several other smaller pieces throughout the year. Um, you know, we do our annual conference collaborative where we try to bring just like all of the best thought leaders, you know, you included, um, to talk about what you're seeing. So, um, yeah, stay tuned, but, but state of modern philanthropy and why America gives are kind of our, our temples that we, we have heard provides, you know, a lot of value for the, for the industry. So we're, we're proud to, to kind of stand behind those. Cool. Um, and, and what about for, for nonprofits listening is kind of you kind of, you know, process 2020 and look forward to 2021. If, if someone's kind of listening and saying like, well, what, what should I be focused on in, in 2021 based off some more data and research? Like what, what's one thing that you think or a couple of things that you think they should be focusing on? Right. So right now we know that so much giving has gone online. Um, we always were saying, no, like the internet is coming. Okay. Guess what? It's 2021. That's not like a, <laughs> profound statement anymore. But um, I think the the two biggest risks that we see with nonprofits is either they think I've thrown up a donation form and that's kind of a commoditized form. And so it's there, bring the donor, you know, if you have it, they will come. That's not how it works. We kind of obsess mm-hmm. around conversion rates. We're constantly doing things to make sure that donors who arrive at, at your campaigns will actually convert. You know, I talked about things like digital wallets and ACH, you know, mobile optimized forms, things like that truly make a difference that drives dollars to your fund to your campaign so focus focus there don't underestimate the power of a good form um and then we talked a lot about recurring and there's a reason you know if attention is all on you take that opportunity to build lifetime donors if the attention is not on you guess what those lifetime donors are going to be what carry you through so focus heavily on building thoughtful kind of all-encompassing recurring campaigns um and that goes beyond a button. You know, how do you encourage donors to come, hold on to them? Um, if you want to talk more, you know, email me directly. I will talk <laughs> for hours about this, but, but there are technological differences. And again, we, we do this research to inform us and how we build our, our tech just as much yeah. as, you know, as a service to the, to the nonprofit community, um, because these, these things matter and, and we're all in here to, to drive dollars to your causes. So, so those, things, those things really do matter. 
Cool. Awesome. Well, again, there's tons of stuff on, on Classy site and you guys publish uh, a lot of posts and resources so people can check those out. So before I let you go, I want to uh, do some rapid fire questions. You know, we're talking about 2020 research and 2021 projections. So let's do a quick uh, Soraya study. So uh, I'm going to ask you a question. You let me know the answer for 2020 and then do your best to guess what the answer is going to be in 2021. And then we'll have to find a way to like circle back and see you know, if this was actually to see how, how well you're at predicting yeah, your own behavior. But so 2020 and then 2021, um, most watched TV show. I never watched TV. I'm too impatient. So nothing <laughs> last year, but I okay. started the year strong on house, which I know is 15 years old, but I'm watching house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, if anyone had money on house, they would be, you know, the odds were long that you would say house at, I would not have pulled that one out. I'm a doctor now. <laughs> okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, um, so favorite cause or organization to support? Maybe one from last year and one. And this is tough. I know it's like choosing amongst your children, but you have to do it. Okay, so I am, oh, I, I cannot do it. I am a recurring donor <laughs> to Equal Justice Initiative, Urban mm. Surf for Kids, which does surf therapy for mm. foster and adoptive youth, the Environmental Defense Fund, ACLU, and then a frequent supporter of Robin Hood. Uh, Amazon Frontlines, the International Rescue Mission, and my alma maters. Those are my top. There you go. Work. I love them okay. all. Well, if a listener wants to do some targeting to you, they have some really good data points now <laughs> to show you very specific Facebook ads. Um, all right. So best or favorite tool or app of 2020 and what you think for maybe 2021? It's nothing productive. It's probably like Google Photos and Peloton, and it's probably going to be the same. <laughs> yeah. Peloton's magic. Like someone needs to decode, you know, what, what all the magic is because there's, there's something about it. That's uh it's pretty special. It's okay. Tuned in. And then incredible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everyone has their like favorite person. It's funny. Um, most streamed artists. So if you have Spotify, they probably told you what it is, but. Uh, yeah. Well, so my, my second child was born a little over a year ago. Terrible sleeper really loves salt and pepper shoot. So a lot of long <laughs> nights listening to that. Huh. Uh, I'm hoping that changes because I could use some more sleep. I could still handle a lot of salt and pepper, but hopefully earlier in the <laughs> evening would be great. <laughs> huh. You know, there's like a, a theory that um, like whatever you listen to when you're like in your like early 20s, you know, late teens is like your favorite music. But right. apparently you're just like trapped watching House and listening <laughs> to, you know, salt and pepper. I, I, I am not. <laughs> I know. I know. It's shameful. I am living yeah, it's pretty funny. I, I'm in a different decade, but it's great. Okay. Salt and pepper, well, you know, I'll take it. Yeah. Mine was Dua Lipa, so yeah. uh, I'm pretty pretty hip. Uh, pretty hip with <laughs> I could take that for 2021. Uh -oh. I'll put that as my prediction, actually. I, I actually um, called that in 2020 in January. My wife brought it. I have a tweet where I said, "This is going to be my artist of the year," and sure enough, right. like she was. So there you go. That's yeah, actually why right. I wanted to ask you these questions. So, okay, uh, I don't know. I was going to say humble brag, but I don't know. That's not bragging at all. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing and taking the time and doing this research. It's really, really valuable uh, research. You already mentioned, you know, the stuff that you're going to be doing in 2021, but where can people find out more about you and this research and your work? Oh, come to classy.org. We've got lots of tools. Um, and then, you know, find me on LinkedIn or just reach out to anybody at Classy. I would love to talk more about this. We're just grateful that you're giving us the platform to share this work more broadly. And we are really honored to support the sector and kind of everything we, everything we do is, is, to advance more good in the world. So, so just very appreciative of it. Cool, well, thanks again and uh, all the best in 2021. Thanks so much, you too. 
Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening. 